Hey, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Coaching Minds Podcast. Zeke and his wife just had a baby. Congratulations to them. Uh, he is not going to be joining us today, just going to be me, and we've got a very special guest. Can't wait for today's show. Welcome to the Coaching Minds Podcast, helping you overcome obstacles so you can reach and achieve more. Here are your hosts, Ben and Zeke. Joining us today is a very special guest, Jim Tressel, as head coach. Coach Tressel led Youngstown State to four national championships and later the Ohio State Buckeyes to a 14-0 season and a national championship in 2002. He's now the president of Youngstown State, where he has continued his tradition of excellence. Coach Tressel, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on our show. Thanks so much, Ben. Good to be here. So in 2002, I was a freshman at Wabash College, and I'll I'll never forget the day that I reported for camp, and right inside the building, starting running back Chris Morris met me at the door and asked if he could carry my bag. And... There were a lot of schools that talked about family during the recruitment process, but you know, I, I played for a man named Chris Creighton who took it to a whole new level, and I hadn't experienced a family culture like that. When, when you hear the word culture, what comes to mind for you, Coach? You know, I think it's the, the entire environment that you try to create, really the, the most important reality that each and every one of us need to truly believe that we're insignificant. Uh, without everyone else. And that means everyone else. That means the equipment manager. That means the fans. That means the faculty that teach you. That means uh, the trainers. That means the uh, fourth string person that is on the demonstration squad uh, all the way to the quarterback or the head coach or everyone uh, is insignificant without every other person. And if if you can create a culture of that selflessness, um, you know, you have a chance. And uh, and that's hard. Yeah. Um, but building great culture uh, is difficult. We're right now kind of finishing up season four of the podcast, and we've we've been looking at components of putting together a complete program, specifically in a, in a team sports setting. And we talked about the first thing we talked about was that the foundation of it all is character development, something that I know is incredibly important to you. Could could you just talk a little bit about why you believe? Developing character in your players is so important. You know, many times when we would have those discussions about what is character and, and how do you develop it and so forth, uh, quite often we would come to the conclusion that character really begins with conscience. And conscience is how you feel you need to be as a part of that group. Uh, you know, what are your responsibilities? What is it, you know? to be a, a member of the Wabash football family? What are my responsibilities? What, what are the ways that I carry myself if, if I'm uh, a part of the Ohio State Buckeye family? Or, and, yeah. and it transcends teams. You know, what, what's expected of me if I'm a father? You know, what's expected of me when I'm in the classroom? Right. Um, you know, what's my conscience about how I go about things? And so... I've often substituted the word conscience uh, for character. I'm not exactly sure what character means, um, but I, I am pretty clear in my mind that uh, you know, I, I've got to have a clear understanding and a clear conscience of what uh, I need to be doing, what my role needs to be, how can I contribute. Um, and, and I've got to feel good you know, that, I, that I'm carrying that out. And uh, I don't know the exact definition of character. Uh, 
nor do I know the exact definition of conscience, but um, it really begins with individual responsibility. And if we all can develop that individual responsibility and then collectively do that with one another, uh, I think we have a chance to, to embody character. We have a chance to create culture. Um, and you know what? In this day and age, and maybe any day and age, it's hard. I think yeah. humanly, we're, we're instinctively selfish. Sure. That's just, you know, we just are. That's the human. That's the, let's face it, we're weak. Uh, we're, we're brittle. We're, we're selfish in a lot of ways. So how do I intentionally work on creating that conscience, that character, that culture? Um, and, and that's why we always felt you can't just say, I want to have it and not work on it. Just like you can't say, I want to be a good blocker and not work on it. Right. <laughs> you got to work on it intentionally. And, and assign and time for it. And one of the tools, one of the tools I believe you used at Ohio State was the, the block O of life. Um, and you had, you know, purpose up at the top with things like personal, family, spiritual, moral, caring, and giving. And down at the bottom, you had, you know, goal areas like strength, fitness, football, family, academics, career. You know, uh, I feel like there's a there's a lot of conversation about, you know, separating who you are from what you do. How, how did you guys kind of separate the the purpose and the goals as you were trying to develop the the complete player? Well, one of the things we wanted to have our people really believe is that um, who you are is going to last a lot longer than what you do, because you're constantly going to be changing what you do. When you're a player, what you do is play. Uh, when you're a student, what you do is study, uh, learn. Uh, then you become an employee. What you do is different than what you did as a student. But who you are lasts forever. We thought, do believe that it has ultimately more impact. And so what we wanted to do, uh, we, we weren't silly enough to think that uh, anything other than football was our students' favorite subject. I mean, that's what they liked. I mean, sure. they, they didn't join our team. Or they didn't join our family with the idea that uh, the major emphasis was going to be on who you are and, and not football. You know, they came there to play football. So we never apologized for wanting to do things well. And that's why we always said we don't want to be average in football. And that means we don't want to be average in the classroom. So passing a class is not what we have in mind. Yeah. Excelling in a class is what we have in mind. And so I think taking the time to really talk about what's important. And, and when the student's younger, it's a little harder to grasp that because, hey, they got my, I want to play. I want to win. Right. I want to go to the NFL, uh, right. whatever. Um, but I think the more seeds that we were able to plant, I, every time I talk to a former player, I, I can't remember the last time they brought up any game or any ring that they won or any of that. They right. brought up the things that have helped them throughout their lives. And uh, so that was our goal. And you have to intentionally work on your goals and you have to have a curriculum for your goals. and why we came up with the block O of life that uh, we didn't want to just say that you had to be morally strong or that you had to be a good family member or that you had to take your blessings and help others and then leave it at that. You know, we, we said, we believe in these things and then here's how you get better. We pledged to our players that every year they were with us, they would get better 
in every one of those six areas in the block O. And oh, by the way, we want to be the national champions too. Right. And in doing that, you know, you, you've got to make sure that your assistant coaches are bought into this also. We had a, had a coach a few weeks back um, who's, who sent in, a, sent in a question. He's taken over his first head coaching job, and, and he just asked, how do you get the assistant coaches to buy into your program? You know, you want them to have their own personality to a certain extent. You want them to be able to coach. You want, you know, you don't want to turn them into robots like you said earlier, but at the end of the day, making sure that everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction. How, how did you communicate those expectations to your assistants? You know, I think it started out with the fact that I wanted them to have the same experience as our players. So they had to fill out their goal sheet. They had to know that I thought part of their experience with us was to grow in every phase of their life and not just win games and maybe go be a head coach or be a coordinator or whatever. So they had to know that I was going to work with them uh, and believed in that. And then, you know, it wasn't always easy. Many times uh, I had coaches say, hey, you know, we got to have a little bit less time on all this other stuff. I need more film time with sure. my guy. We yeah. need more practice time. We're not getting enough of this or that. And and there's times when you have to follow what you believe. And, and that's one of the, I guess, the nice things about being the head coach. You can set the schedule. Right. You can decide what we're going to work on. Uh, it's better when everyone agrees that, hey, let's spend this time on this. And But here's what I found, Ben. After about a year of a, of a staff member being on our staff, you could tell they understood why we were doing it and why we were spending the time on what we were spending the time. And most every one of them that ever went on and maybe went to an NFL staff or something like that, they would always get, get back to me and say, oh, man, all we ever do is work on X's and O's here. We, we, we're not going to get as good as we can if we don't broaden our perspective. Sure. Yeah. Or if they become a head coach, all the times they uh, belly ached about the time we spent on things outside of X's and O's. All of a sudden, they were doing it very similarly. Maybe not exact, but uh, so like anything else, I think they have to experience it. They have to feel it. They have to sense the genuineness of what you're trying to do. And uh, it has to become a part of them. And my experience was, I can't remember a coach who didn't ultimately think that uh, that certainly was an important part of of, uh, the program. I love I love how you started that with you did the exact same thing with your coaches and that coming from that genuine place of you care about them you want to help them you want to help them grow and develop just like the players you know, creating that buy in from them but let's go back to the let's go back to the players the end users um, you know we could look at it as how did you get them to to not only buy into the program and start developing a winning culture and doing things the right way, but, but do it quickly and do it in a, you know, how'd you develop that buy-in day one? You know, I think you have to be consistent and you have to make the experiences rewarding and make them uh, slowly gain the understanding. But I had a lot of players that I'm sure in three or four years were still not totally sold. And, yeah. and, and what I found was, Sometimes they didn't get it until they were 32 years old and they I'd get a call from them back and say, you know what, now I know why we did some of that stuff. And you know what, I'm using more of that. I'm certainly not using anything in football. I'm, I'm in business right now or I'm raising a family or I'm, you know, 
in a corporation or whatever. Uh, now I get it. And so, uh, you know, we, we used to often say, Ben, don't get discouraged as a coach if the seeds that you plant don't sprout in front of you. That's not our job. Our job is to plant the seeds. Some will sprout early because people might water them and, and cultivate them and so forth. Others, you know, they may they may starve those seeds and, and not buy in and, and so forth, and, and they may sprout later. But what's important is that you've provided the seeds uh, and that you can feel good. You can have the good conscience that, you know what, I think I've helped provide what this person's going to need for a long, long time and not just what do they need for this season or for this practice or, yeah. uh, but patience. And, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't had one player ever came back and said, you know, all that time you spent with us, making me fill out that goal sheet or talking about this or making me listen to this speaker or have this conversation. Uh, that was a waste of my time. Haven't heard it yet. I've heard plenty of them say, you know, that maybe we wasted their time with too many hours in the weight room or, you know, or whatever that happens to be. But uh, I think as they mature, uh, they grow to appreciate. That's powerful. That's awesome. Uh, I heard you say on uh, AJ Hawk's podcast, there's a fierce battle for the mind of the human. And it, it kind of made me think of a, a darker side of what some of our players have to face in their day-to-day -day lives in your book, you said that as coaches, we are dealers of hope. What advice do you have for, for coaches out there trying to, you know, trying to sow these seeds, trying to impact the lives of their players and help them, you know, succeed on and off the field, but also knowing that there's a, there's a battle going on in their mind and that, you know, mental health is as important now as ever. You know, one of the great, um, lessons we learned every year, Ben, we would read a book as a team. We would take a lot of care in deciding what book did our team need at this moment in our progression. And one of the years, probably in the late 80s, when Phil Jackson was rolling with the uh, Chicago Bulls, winning all those championships, and, and I think it was before he even went to the Lakers, we studied his book and we studied how he worked with the Bulls and you know, he had this superstar, Michael Jordan, right. and, you know, Scottie Pippen, unbelievable role. You know, those two couldn't do it alone. And, and, uh, and he talked a lot about two words that we really tried to grow on. One was awareness. And that was that awareness for what your player's going through. That awareness of what might be going on that you don't even know about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and those those dark things that creep into all of our minds, or those tough situations that maybe had nothing to do with us, but they became part of our reality. Sure. Uh, and and so we wanted to work hard on becoming very aware as coaches, becoming very aware as teammates, uh, as to hey, you no, know, what my buddy's going through, I might not even know. I might not know his mom was just diagnosed with cancer, or girlfriend just broke up with him or wants to be in engineering and he just can't pass calculus or, you know, whatever. Um, so having that awareness is critical and it, it's something you have to work on intentionally. Then the other part, the other word that Phil Jackson used quite a bit is after you've really worked hard at that awareness 
is that you have to work hard at compassion, helping that player know that that you're trying to understand what they're going through, you know, the the challenge that they're having. And that uh, Coach Bruce used to always say when I was an assistant coach there uh, at Ohio State, he used to always say, you know, you assistant coaches, you walk around and I don't know where your eyes and head is, but your awareness for what your player, you might have a player walk into your meeting room with their head down, looking all in the dumps, and, and you don't even notice. And you don't take the time to find out how you can be helped. And so, you know, he used to always tell us we were oblivious. And he, he'd stand up in the meeting room and he'd act like he was walking down the hall as a coach with their head down, whistling, like yeah. nothing was going on. And, and then he'd turn around and he'd be the player walking with his, you know, all slumped over and looking like the world was about to end. And he said, you didn't even notice that. Right. When was the last time you sat down with one of your players and had breakfast and just said, you know, stopped at the dining hall and, and talked about something that had nothing to do with football. Right. Or asked about, uh, you know, one thing Woody Hayes was famous for was if you didn't know your player's schedule, what their grades were in each class, uh, what was going on at home, how things were going with their girlfriend or whatever, uh, if, if you didn't know that, uh, he was going to constantly quiz you about your awareness. Yeah. Uh, and if we get better at being more aware, uh, then we'll have a better chance of developing our ability to be compassionate and help people through that battle for their mind. Because you just don't know what someone's going through. I mean, how many times in our lives, you know, do we say, man, I wish I would, I've meant to call so-and-so and I knew they were going through a tough time and they just got fired or they just, you know, died. You know, I'll never get to see him again. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that desire to have an awareness and be compassionate, I think, uh, was a critical part of what we tried to what we tried to do with with all of our kids and with one another. And and I do think you know your players have such a platform to be able to reach other people who who are also hurting in the community that don't have anything to do with your program. You know, we we tell our our high school guys all the time. You know, the way you look up to these college players or these NFL players, well, all those elementary school kids down there are looking up to you. And I don't, I don't know if I don't know if this will show up or not, but this is a, a wood carving of you that my grandpa gave me for Christmas one year. And I mean, wow. you know, I've got a I've got a bobblehead of you holding up a BCS trophy upstairs, you know, next to next to some other pictures and things like that. And so. You know, you've you've got this this celebrity status and these players have this celebrity status where they can go in and just a simple word with somebody who's struggling can completely change that kid's life. How did how did you how did you kind of help your players balance that celebrity status? But, you know, one of your Big Ten words was humble or humility. Um, but still embrace that, you know, this special platform that they have to be able to change the world and to be able to impact other people. You know, I, I always felt that it started in the locker room. And I love to talk to our guys who had that celebrity status in the locker room. They might have been, you know, first team or they might have been all conference or they might have been the one that the newspapers were writing about. We used to always talk about the fact, well, same thing is, is true uh, outside of the locker room. 
And that's why that whole caring and, and, and doing for others, um, you know, one of the most important things that I think we all have to remember is how fortunate we are. I mean, just to live in this country, you know, how fortunate we are. Right. To play the game of football, if you're a kid on a scholarship at a college, my goodness, you know, how fortunate you are. Yeah. And with that response, with that good fortune goes responsibility to make a difference to others, quiet ways, humble ways, not looking for, you know, anyone to check off a box or say, hey, I did that or give me a lollipop because I did it. But and then also outside of the locker room. And, uh, you know, our kids loved going out to the elementary schools. They loved going over to the cancer ward, you know, and and, and just sitting with people and and. Yeah. Uh, you know, we looked at that as the right thing to do, uh, the responsible thing to do, the difference we can make, uh, and not as a as a uh, headline to make, a photo op, you know, anything like that. And uh, hopefully that will carry out throughout their lives when they're in a community and they're at a company, you know, whatever it happens to be. And, uh, um, and they all would say, oh, I dreaded it. it. was It was my Friday during the season to go over to the cancer ward. And, you know, I, I was tired. I was getting ready for the game. But then when I went, I mean, it was, it was the best Amazing. hour of the week. Or when it was my turn to go to the elementary school to read books, I was like, oh, I got to get up and take that time away from my own needs. And, and they would bellyache the whole way over. And then all, the whole way back, they were like, oh, that was hour of the day so there there's there's some selfish reward from it too you feel good when sure. you can make a difference with others and sure and again if you don't nudge people to do it they'll never see how it feels one of the guys i can remember who was hugely impactful in our locker room was a defensive end named will smith will was an all-american and came back for his senior year he would have been a first round draft choice and and, you know, but his grandmother told him, you're, you're graduating from Ohio State. And every time I walked into the locker room, it seemed like he was sitting down with a different kid who, you know, he didn't have anything in common with him. You know, the kid's never going to play, but he just, he, that was the kind of guy he was. And, and the impact he made was tremendous. And, and one thing that, you know, I, I'm proud of a lot of things that our kids did, but one thing I can tell you is that. Every one of the kids on our team felt valued. And I think it was because a lot of our guys that had some of that status, that celebrity, made sure that those kids knew how important they were. That's powerful. And, you know, we've been, we've been talking ab about players and what they've taken from the game as they move on to, to be a father or into their career like to shift gears just kind of as we, you know, get towards the end of our time here. What, what about you? You know, you've now shifted from kind of a, a spotlight role, uh, the head football coach at the Ohio State University to president of Youngstown State. And, you know, while there, while there may not be people out there making bobbleheads of university presidents, you've now gone from overseeing a few hundred people to thousands of people and so your impact is even greater. What, what aspects of coaching have you found most helpful to carry over into this, this new administrative role? You know, I think, 
I think one of the biggest ones is to really be an intentional listener because I was entering an arena that, yes, I'd been in higher education for 38 years or something, but I was in a, a as you say, a real focused myopic area of higher ed. Yeah. And I was certainly not an expert in most of the other areas. Uh, but I knew that everyone in their area, every college, every department, every whatever, uh, that's their passion. That's their football. And, and that's important to them. And I really felt like I needed to listen. I needed to read. I needed to find out as much as I could about what was important to them and then see how I could help. In fact, I, I just just heard. Uh, a great quote uh, from George Washington, listen, evaluate, and help. So, you know, he talked about you got to listen, got to evaluate, mm-hmm. learn, you know, what you heard, and then you got to see where you can help. And so um, that's really helped me um, as I've taken on a different role and I've got to make sure they understand, you know, the obvious thing when I came to be a college president was, well, all he's going to care about is the athletic department, you know? And, sure. and so I had to make sure that it was crystal clear that yeah. I was going to be listening and learning about things way beyond what I knew. And then I was going to see where I could help. And, uh, uh, you know, so that, that's been really helpful, but what's been difficult. And I, and I tell people all the time that it's much more difficult to be a college president than a coach for the very reason, Ben, you mentioned is just the magnitude, uh, the number of people. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, in fact, I always say I would have been a lot nicer to my presidents if I knew how hard it was <laughs> to be a president, you know, but um, making sure that they know I believe they're important. You know, I, I want to help in any way I can. And but not unlike a head coach or a position coach or whatever, you can't do everything for everyone that they want. The team is still what's most important. And in, in this case, the university is still what's most important, but I, you know what? I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn as much as I can. And now what I do miss, honestly, because of the magnitude of it and the size of it is you don't have those intimate day to day, you know, 12 hour a day relationships. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're a faculty member in a classroom, you don't have the same students for four years. You know, we had the same students for four years. Yep. We could watch them grow, help them grow. Yep. You know those kinds of things, uh, but um, there, there's no question about it that uh, I've always said that coaching is the purest form of teaching that there is because it doesn't end when the when the bell rings. You know, it, it, it's it's 24 hours a day, and uh, that intimacy of growing that close, um, and also you know how it has been the time you spend with the staff. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't. I've got such a large staff that I I don't get that every day with the same people grinding at the same things. Uh, But, uh, but like anything else, uh, anytime you're learning something new and you really believe you can make a difference, that's exciting in its own right. And uh, you know, it's people ask, uh, you know, do you miss coaching? Yeah, I miss coaching, but I've never had the excitement of doing what I'm doing now. And, and uh, you know, so I've never woken up, saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, and I want to go coach, uh, this has been, you know, every bit as rewarding. Coach Tressel, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to share with us today. I greatly appreciate it. This has been outstanding. Well, thanks so much, Ben, and make sure when you talk to our mutual friend, Chris Creighton, you tell him I said hello. Until next time, make your plan, put it to work. Mm-hmm.